If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes. And the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus, and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving Spirit. Okay, so don't worry, I'm not preaching about speaking in tongues or anything like that, so yeah. <laughs> um, 
So I wanted to show that video just to give a picture of what the Spirit does in our lives. And so as you can see, the Spirit uh, is a very, has a very integral part to play in our lives and shaping us to be more like Christ. So in today, speaking about being a child of God and heir to the King, I was given a few verses. And in trying to connect those verses, it was evident that the connection was the power and the empowerment of the Spirit, uh, the life-giving Spirit. And so that's, that's sort of the picture I wanted to give you with that video. Um, so it is the Spirit living in us that enables us to be His children, His heirs. So I'm actually going to do what Mark did last week, and I'm going to ask you to stand while I read the Word. So... So the first verse that I was given was uh, John 1, 12 and 13, um, and it says this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You can sit. So the picture we have in John 1, if we look at the beginning of the chapter, is God with us and him dwelling among us. And that language is exactly the same as in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. The spirit of God was hovering, the life-giving spirit. So we have that picture again in John 1. In the beginning, God was with us. He was there. It was by his spirit we are children and heirs to the king. Oh, you know what, this, oh, thank you, that's awesome. Okay, I'm really bad at the PowerPoint thing, so if you can help me out, that'd be awesome. Um, in the Greek word, um, in the Greek, the word for children is uh, technon. Um, the meaning is descendants, inhabitant, inhabitants. Uh, so that means we get to partake with, we get to work with, and enjoy the new life God is creating in us and through us. All that we have and all that we are is sustained by him. So the spirit that hovers and gives life is by faith. The spirit that is in you and growing you in deeper relationship to him. So going to the other verses, so I'm going to ask you to stand again. This is going to be longer. Um, we're in Galatians, and I was given Galatians 3, 26 to 29, and then 4, 6, and 7, but I'm actually going to start reading at verse 14, and then I'm going to go all the way to verse, uh, to chapter 4, verse 7, so, um, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to human covenant, add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in the case, in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and two seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. 
For if inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on, a prom- on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through, an, through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. It is the law, therefore, opposed, is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. So what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor there is male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is an underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had come, had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. You can sit down. You're having a hard time with that, aren't you? Um, So as you can see, there's a lot going on in the church of Galatia. Uh, Some of the leaders are trying to impose upon the Christians to live according to the law again, and they're going back to the old understanding. Um, As I read this, I I sense Paul's urgency, um, and Paul is writing to remind these people that they've now received the Spirit, and received the Spirit by faith, and this is what makes them sons and daughters. It's not by doing the rituals of the law. So, My first, I have a three-point sermon for you. My first point is, by faith, his spirit has made you a child of God, an heir. So I began reading in verse 14, and to give some context around these verses, Paul is talking about the law and the promise. And the promise is the Abrahamic covenant found all the way back in the book of Genesis. And Paul points out that the law does not override that promise, even though the law was given a number of years later. The law was given to show, to show the Israelites how much they need God. The law was not to impart life, uh, 
Righteousness did not come that way. It is by faith, by trusting that they have received the spirit of sonship. The really cool thing, let's see. Yes, okay. The really cool thing about the promise that Paul is talking about in, in Genesis 15 is that the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch, those two elements represent God. So it is actually God who's passed through the sacrifice. So he's, in a sense, made a covenant with himself. He's promising that he is going to do this. He's promising to Abraham that this is, this is what he's going to do for him and his people. The thing that Abraham had to do was believe it. So there's the royals. There's a lot going on with them right there. Uh, I'm not going to describe what's going on because I don't understand it myself. So, <laughs> but, but they are just heirs. That's just how it works. So the Greek word for heir is kleronomos. Anybody a Greek scholar in here? Did I get that right? Anyway, so that's the Greek word for heir. And the word nomos actually means law. So this... This is a legal term. So if you are a child of God and heir, by law, you have received the promise of the Spirit. The life-giving Spirit, by faith, is in you. So let me put it this way. Your work and your service are not so you can be a part. They are because you are already a part. You are already a child. You are already an heir. In your work, you're living out your faith and trusting what God has done. So um, I have a tendency to um, rely on a lot on what I can see. Um, I've, got, I've got many experiences from uh, childhood, and I've processed a lot of these things where broken trust has happened. And so in some ways, that's made me a little cynical, and sometimes I can say, so, um, I'll see it when I, or I'll believe it when I see it, or I can stand back and watch something happen rather than take part, because I may not know how, I have to see it before I do it, um, but this is to ensure that I don't make a mistake. So in some cases, this is wise, uh, but in other cases, the idea of being able to trust and believe and that, I'll, and that I'll be okay, even if I get a little bit embarrassed or make a mistake, uh, that it's not the end of the world is something I sometimes have to tell myself. So it can make having childlike faith hard. Here's a bit of a picture of faith in action. So uh, this year with the Impact Leaders, I'm going through the book with, and we just went through the chapter uh, about faith. And so in that chapter, the author talks about an experience that Henry Nouwen had in understanding faith. He's, Henry Nouwen's watching this guy on a trapeze, and he realizes that everything that the guy flying through the air can do actually depends on the catcher, because the catcher has to catch him. The flyer has to trust that the catcher is going to catch him. So the application is simple. Believe what you've heard. Believe what you've heard in this. It's what's made you a child. Paul is reassuring the Galatian people 
that their belief in the I am and what he has done on the cross is how they have received the life-giving spirit. It's not through what they're doing. This is the spirit that has made them sons and daughters. The message we have received from culture can make this hard to believe. We see how culture lives and we tend to believe what we see. Oh, can you guys see that? Okay, so this is sort of what I have on my desktop. Um, so this is who God says that we are. So I'm, so I'm guessing most of you can't see it. So the first, I am chosen, 1 Thessalonians 1.4. I am called of God, 2 Timothy 1.9. I am being changed into his image, 2 Corinthians 3.18. I am a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I am the, t- the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.19. I am forgiven of all of my sins, Ephesians 1.7. I am redeemed uh, from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.14. I am blessed, Galatians 3.9. I am the head, not the tail, Deuteronomy 28.13. I am above, not beneath, Deuteronomy 28.13. I am victorious, Revelation 12.11. I am set free, John 8.32. I am strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6.10. I am healed by his wounds, 1 Peter 2.24. I am free from condemnation, Romans 8.1, I am reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5.18, I am, I am joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8.17, I am more than a conqueror, Romans 8.37, I am accepted in him, Ephesians 1.6, I am complete in him, Colossians 2.10. You are all of these things by the Spirit. <laughs> Paul is wanting the Galatians to get that, he, that they are all of these things. Moving to the second point, and the promise is for all. The Spirit has made it so all are able to be a part of the promise. So verses 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if you spend any amount of time reading the Bible, which you probably do, um, you're able to see that there is division among groups within within this this um, story. Uh, there's division among Jew and Gentile, slave and master, male and female, and Paul is saying that this divide is no longer there. We are all one in Christ. <clears throat> all are accepted. All are able to partake in the life-giving presence of the Spirit. Where there was once division, there is now harmony. If we are having trouble accepting those who are different from us, we need to recognize that that is not, that is not the work of the Spirit. The Spirit has made it so all of us fit. Life-giving, the life-giving work is depicted in the, body, in the picture of the body of Christ, how we live and work together and give to one another and treat one another. As the Spirit comes to live in you, you are empowered to live this Christian life and live in community, giving and serving and working with one another. So when I was a kid, 
probably, I think the summer I was 10, maybe nine, um, every single night um, of the summer, all of the neighborhood kids, we would gather together and we would play kick the can. Who knows the game kick the can? Okay, lots of you, okay. Uh, so this was really, really fun. And, and every night I would eat my supper as fast as I could and then just run out the door. And so there's probably about 30 of us um, uh, and nobody, nobody was excluded. Everybody got to play. Now, of course, we fought over who would be it, but still everybody got to play. Um, I also had this experience with my church youth group. So, um, yeah, I just assume, I guess, I did not grow up in a Christian home. And, um, and so it didn't matter that I came from a non-Christian background. My church youth group just, and my church just, loved me, and they just grabbed a hold of me, and, and I quickly became a part of uh, ministry that we did in the Maritimes, and, and leading camps, and that kind of thing, and it was, it was a great experience to fit like that. The third experience I've had like that was just a few years ago, uh, when I was in Manitoba doing my master's degree. Uh, I was invited to a, f- people's, a p- person's house for Thanksgiving, um, and I s- still, I keep in contact with these people actually um, almost weekly through text message. Uh, but I had no idea what that meant, Thanksgiving, what being at Thanksgiving with them meant. And it, it was, I walked into a house of like 15 to 20 people, but it wasn't just their family. It was their family. It was me. There was someone there from China. There was someone there from Germany. There was uh, someone there from India. And it actually, I actually thought when I was sitting there eating, like, this is actually a picture of the kingdom. This is, this is what this looks like. And, and I just remember thinking, this this is the picture of us, we're eating, we're enjoying one another, we're all from different backgrounds, and oh, there was also some um, senior people there. So this was just, it was just lots of fun. And so we all fit, we all belong there. As heirs, as people empowered by the Spirit, as recipients of the promise, you get to be a part of it. You get to pass on the life-giving presence of Jesus. In my youth group experience, the people who were already there were passing this on to me in their acceptance of me. As the video ended, it said, the spirit is still hovering in dark places of the earth, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. Being a child and an heir has empowered us to pass this on. It bridges the gap to include all. It, it shows us how to love one another. And the last verse, because all are included, all can cry, Abba, Father. Verses four, six, and seven. Uh, chapter four, verses six and seven. Because you are sons, you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. There we go. The spirit of life connects us to the Father. And as children and heirs, we could also cry, Abba, Father. So Timothy Keller says, the word Abba is an Aramaic word for father. 
It is roughly translated Papa. Paul is saying that they can now say the same thing that Jesus said in the book of Mark where he said, Abba Father, please take this cup from me. Paul has used, also used this term in Romans. It denotes trust, it's personal, it's an intimate relationship uh, with the Father. It denotes the idea of being known and it's familial. The life-giving spirit is the same spirit that imparts sonship and for us daughtership into our hearts. These two verses speak directly to the relational status that the Galatians now had with with God. He's pointing out that they're the new they're in the they're part of the new family. The life-giving spirit has done this. Paul desperately wanted the Galatians to grasp their freedom that they now had in Christ as sons and daughters. And that, as I work with the young ladies, that is my heart for them, that they grasp the, the freedom that they have in Christ. And for you guys too, but that's Michael's job. Michael's not paying attention. <laughs> The life-giving spirit has given you freedom in Christ and has made you sons and daughters. You are no longer a slave. You are a child of the king. You are an heir. And the spirit has done this. So how the Galatians saw themselves is important here. So the idea of sonship, the idea of acceptance was a new idea and hard to grasp. They, They were used to the old way of life. They started with the spirit, but now they were being bound up again with old patterns and ways of life. They were not seeing themselves as God's children and heirs. They were not seeing themselves as God saw them. So I'm going to use us women for illustration here. Sorry, guys. I don't know that much about you. Um, so I'm not, I don't think that this applies to guys, but I could be totally wrong. Maybe it does for some. So... For us women, how many of you have gone through like three or four outfits in the morning? Yeah, okay, good. I'm not alone. Okay. And then you finally are, you know, you finally get to where you want to be. How many of you have ever gone back to the original outfit? Oh, Dan's in his hand back there. (laughs) So this does apply to guys? All right. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, how many, okay, so you've gone back to, you've gone to back the original, um, the original thing that you picked out, and, and you're like, yeah, this is what I was going for, but you just didn't see it the first time. You need to get, we need to get in our hearts how God sees us. Those of you that see yourself through the lens of your struggle need to know that God knows about your struggle, but that is not the lens that he's looking at you with. He's looking at you with this lens right here. This is who you are. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we continue to renew our minds in the fact that we are sons and daughters by the Spirit, 
who share in the life-giving spirit will be ever-growing in our identity in him. And the truth, this right back here, of who he says we are. The spirit that hovers and gives life is, by faith, the spirit that is in you and growing you in deeper relationship with him. All of these verses that speak to who we are come from the promise that God has made with Abraham and Sarah. They all apply to us. If we could get these into our hearts and minds, and it's myself included, our identities would be grounded in, in who in what this, who this says we are. But I do think that this is part of our struggle here on earth. So, to recap, by faith you've been made a child of God and heir. We all belong. The life-giving spirit of sonship is in you and allows you to cry, Abba, Father. The spirit that hovers and gives life and makes new is the same spirit that's in you. Let's pray. Lord, um, we are humbled that um, you have claimed us as yours. God, I ask that by your spirit we are able to renew our minds and remember who you have told us that we are. Lord, there are so many voices that culture have, has, um, has spoken into our hearts and into our minds. Uh, there are lots of lies that are connected to those voices. And so God, help us begin to believe this truth of who you say we are as sons and daughters, as heirs to the king. We have received, by law, your spirit. And so God, I pray that you would put in each one of our hearts a deep desire to know you more, to experience life-giving relationship with you, God. Father, I pray for the students and the staff and faculty today that they would know that you are with them in all of the things that they are doing. God, that you, they would see how you are walking with them, Lord. And God, I ask that your blessing would be upon this, um, this great college, God. And thank you for the privilege it is to work here. And God, I ask that each one of us would be inclusive by your spirit to those of us who are here on campus and to those who are outside of campus. In your name I pray, amen. Go in peace.